Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. And uh, he's actually doing a lot uh, with us this summer as far as he's got a major schedule. Their internship program uh, is uh, quite heavy, and uh, he's doing a lot this summer with us. Uh, But when he goes back uh, for a little while, then he'll be coming back home for good. Amen. And... uh, and we are already in talks with him uh, about uh, some of the things that he's going to be helping with us with in the future, uh, including if it all works out, God's will is done, everything works the way it's supposed to be, uh, hopefully launching a Purpose Institute here in our church. And if you don't know what Purpose Institute, I'm not going to get into it right now. But it is, it's kind of like an in-house Bible school, so people can attend it. Uh, come for classes and learn, and there's a whole segment of it, um, and it can, it, people can actually work their way towards ministry licensing through Purpose Institute. So if they don't want to go to Bible school, if they don't want to move away for a while, if they don't want to do any of that, uh, it's kind of like an in-house Bible school. And so we're, we're, you know, I'm not trying to put too much pressure on them right now. That's what we're talking about. That's what we feel like is going to happen. But uh, we're also open to the will of God. And so he will be uh, back uh, and helping us in, in that in a lot of other areas very soon. And, of course, Zachary is done with Bible school and is home for good now. And... And uh, we're, we'll see what the Lord wants to do with that. Uh, he's uh, pursuing some uh, preaching engagements. He's been, while at Bible school, he's preached out at several churches, traveled around some churches around Indiana and some of the other states and preached. And so he's just kind of letting the, the doors open where they may in that area, as well as helping us out around here and their uh, all of our returning Bible school students. Some are just here for a little while. Some are here for good. The ones that are here for good, uh, we're trying to get them plugged in and connected and the things that they're passionate about. Um, the ones that are just here for the summer, they just do whatever we tell them to do. That's just, the, that's the rules. You just do whatever we tell you to do and help anywhere you want to help. But the ones that are home for good, we're trying to get them plugged into areas that they have some real passion and long-term uh, commitment to. So these two young men are going to uh, talk to us tonight about some of the fruits of the Spirit. Brother Minjavar will go first. Zachary will go, Brother Zachary will go second. And I'm not going to introduce both of them. So once Brother Minjavar comes, once he's done, uh, Brother Zachary will just come up right after him. Are you ready to learn from the Word of the Lord tonight? Amen. Brother Minjavar, come on up. Praise the Lord, everyone. I'd like to give honor where honor is due before I get into my message. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Brom and Pastor Cox for uh, the opportunity to speak tonight. It's, a, it's an opportunity I don't take for granted and am very privileged to speak before you guys tonight. We'd also like to thank the church for their support and their prayers uh, these last couple of years as, 
as I've been going to Bible school. Uh, I appreciate those prayers and support. It really means a lot to me. Uh, I would also like to thank my parents for uh, not only raising me in this truth, but uh, thank you. <laughs> but for also uh, training me up in the way that I should go as well. Uh, any, has anyone been blessed by the uh, Fruit of the Spirit series we've been a part of? Uh, uh, to no surprise, I'll be going to Galatians 5, 22 through 23. When you're there, say amen. Bible reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Uh, if you guys could help me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done in this service. I pray, Lord God, that your word would fall on good ground, that our hearts and our minds would be ready to receive anything that you'd have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. So today I was tasked with speaking on meekness, meekness. And I'll be honest, meekness isn't really a, a word that you hear in today's society much outside of the church setting when, you, when talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I remember, to my remembrance in high school or even in my time at secular school at MSU, uh, I wouldn't really hear the word meekness, you know, in any conversations or anything like that. I feel like meekness gets lost in today's secular society because our society today is very individualistic. It's very self-centered. It's very about me, 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 and things of that nature. But we see, as I'll point out later, the Bible shows us that meekness, God holds a special place for meekness, and it's precious in God's eyes. Uh, before I go any further, it would be good to define what exactly meekness is from a biblical perspective. Uh, I found that the word meek or meekness in the Greek uh, means gentle, the positive moral quality of dealing with people in a kind manner, with humility and consideration. And to summarize this maybe in a more understandable way, Meekness is about having strength and power under control. Meekness is having strength and power under control. Our secular world sees meekness as a weakness, but this is quite the opposite. Meekness is not a weakness, but it is a powerful virtue that reflects this character, uh, the, the one God in Christ. And he is a perfect example of meekness. You see, meekness is not about suppressing our opinions or becoming passive, but it is a strength that comes from surrendering to God's will and sovereignty. Meekness doesn't mean like, for example, like we're a doormat where someone could just get us dirty, just step on us, you know, not care about us in that way. But meekness is a strength as I'll show later on. Just like the other parts of the fruit of the Spirit, we can look to Jesus as the ultimate example of what it means to be meek. Uh, you see, Jesus showed meekness throughout his life. 
even though he had all power given to him, power and authority given to him in heaven and in earth, he displayed humility, gentleness, and submission to God's will. Even in the face of unjust persecution and treatment, his response was love and forgiveness. And as a result, he went to the cross for our sins. So what are some characteristics of a meek person? A meek person won't seek vengeance. If you go to Titus 3.2, the Bible reads, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Now if we could go to Proverbs 15.1, the Bible reads, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So we see a clear theme here, right? You see that meekness plays an important role in our relationship with one another. A meek person is one who knows their strength in the Lord and does not try to use it to belittle others. A meek person is one who is willing to show compassion and mercy because that is what he or she wants for themselves and for all those around them. Does this remind any, anyone of something, maybe uh, principle, a principle that we learned, you know, in elementary school, maybe high school growing up? Reminds anyone of the golden rule, you know? This kind of, when I was putting this message together, that's what this point reminded me of, the principle that we treat others the way that we ourselves want to be treated. So in the same way that we want to have compassion and mercy, we also, you know, also give compassion and mercy to those around us. So what are some practical examples of how we can live out a life of meekness? And uh, this is in no specific order of importance here, but the first would be handling conflict. Handling conflict. This is one practical example of how we can live a life of meekness. And let's be real, conflict is bound to happen, but it's important to understand how we handle conflict when it happens and this is by living a life of meekness. It's very possible that you may have or will have conflict or disagreements with someone in your family, someone maybe even in the church, at your workplace, maybe if you're in school, things of that nature, but there is a correct way to handle conflict. And you see, meekness allows us to approach the situation with humility and willingness to listen to the other person's perspective, and we can handle conflict by seeking understanding, finding maybe a common ground, striving for peaceful resolution, rather than always insisting that we're right. And I found some biblical guidelines for handling conflict with meekness. The first would be seeking reconciliation. Uh, go to Matthew 5, 23 through 24. The Bible reads here, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. As you can see here, Jesus 
uses the example from this passage of someone who is about to offer a gift or sacrifice at the altar in the temple, but then they remember that their brother, that they have something against their brother. Jesus instructs, and this is the surprising part here, that they should leave their gift at the altar and go first to be reconciled or to make things right with their brother. So then when reconciliation is achieved, they can return their gift to God. So Jesus, from this passage, stresses the importance of seeking reconciliation and restoring a broken relationship before we even engage in acts of devotion to God. Also go to Romans 12, 18. Uh, The verse states, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, as much that lies within us, live peaceably with all men. Practicing forgiveness is also important. We have to let go of any grudges, bitterness, resentment, even if we're in conflict with someone. How many know that as meek Christians, we must extend the forgiveness that Christ extended to us? Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, go Colossians three twelve through 13. States it in another similar way. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and notice in this next verse, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Here's a second practical example of how we can live a life of meekness. It's, to our, it's how we respond to offenses. And this kind of goes hand in hand with my last point about how we handle conflict. How we respond to offenses by living a life of meekness also matters. You see, in this society, it's very easy to be offended. Maybe we've all lived here long enough. We've been offended. Maybe we've been on the receiving end. Someone's offended us. Someone said something to us that we didn't appreciate. Maybe someone did an act, unjust act to you that you didn't appreciate. But God forbid that we offend someone else as an act of retaliation or as an act of payback because we are all one body in Christ. You see, uh, go to Proverbs 15, 18. We ought to be slow to anger. Proverbs 15, 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Here's another practical example of how we can live live a life of meekness. It's by using our words wisely. Meekness affects how we communicate with one another. It means speaking with gentleness and respect even when we may disagree with one another. Having a meek spirit restrains us from using harsh or hurtful words. We don't seek to put others down, 
but instead we choose to edify, we choose to encourage, we choose to build each other up because we are one body in Christ. It doesn't make sense to have conflict with one another. We're all one body in Christ, and the devil wouldn't, would, love it, would love for us to you know, fight among ourselves or to, to have quarrels among ourselves, to have bitterness or grudges amongst ourselves because he's trying to, it makes his job easier in dividing the body, but we are one body in Christ, so we seek to edify, we seek to build up rather than put others down, and we seek to handle conflict in a life living out in meekness. Amen. How we serve others is also important. We can be meek by serving others, as this is what ministry is all about, putting others' needs before ourselves. By using our meek spirit to bless and to uplift those around us. And it's because of meekness that we can serve others without seeking recognition or expectance of anything in return. We serve to please God. I have some verses here that highlight the word meek or meekness. Uh, Matthew 5, 5. This is one of Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. The verse states, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus in this verse, in Matthew 5, 5, is alluding to or referring back to a psalm in Psalm 37, 11. If you could go to that, please. Psalm 37, 11. Listen to how similar the verse sounds here. Psalm 37, 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Look at this next part. What, what else do the meek do? They shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Anyone else want to delight in the abundance of peace? This doesn't mean that we'll never have another restless night. This doesn't mean that we'll never have that specific job opportunity. This doesn't mean that everything in your life will go your way. Life won't be sunshine and rainbows. But you will delight, the promise from this verse means that you will delight in the abundance or the surplus of the peace of God. And his peace is the peace that passes all understanding. All understanding. Back, back to Matthew 5.5, 5, Jesus declares from this verse that the meek are blessed and that they shall inherit the earth or the land. So you may be wondering to yourselves, what does this specifically mean? You see, what inheriting the earth means from this verse goes beyond material things. One source put it like this, inheriting the earth goes beyond material possession or land ownership and points to the inheritance of God's promises and eternal blessings. It signifies that those who exhibit meekness will experience God's favor, peace, and fullness of his kingdom. Hallelujah. Anyone want that in their lives? The favor, the peace, and the fullness of his kingdom in your life. Another verse that highlights meekness is found in 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. The Bible reads, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you 
for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness in the context of this verse deals with engaging in discussions and sharing our faith with the spirit of humility, gentleness, and respect. So we seek to understand, we seek to understand the other person's perspective and we respond in grace and love. And this is a good principle to have. Even when we preach truth, we can preach truth. It may sound harsh to someone, but we preach it in truth. We preach it in grace and in love. One source said it like this. It's an invitation to approach conversations about faith with a genuine desire for dialogue, understanding, and potentially leading others to Christ through, through our words and actions. Zephaniah 2.3 also highlights meekness. Zephaniah 2.3. The Bible reads, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. For context from this verse, Zephaniah was a prophet that preached a message of judgment and restoration to the people of Judah. He tells people to seek righteousness, to seek meekness, that it may be protection or a shelter in the day of the Lord's anger, or in other words, the day of the Lord's judgment. We can also gain application from this verse in the way that we ought to also seek righteousness and to seek meekness as it may also offer a shelter and protection from the day of the Lord's coming judgment. How many know that the Lord's coming is very soon and that it's a promise in the Bible? There will be a day where the books will be opened, whether you think that's the Lamb's Book of Life or whether you think that's the Bible or a detailed record of your life. The Bible says, we can have that debate another time, but the Bible says that each one will be judged according to one's work, and the books will be opened. Our approach to God's word is in meekness. James 1.21 here reads, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluidity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Meekness from this verse is referring to a humble and a receptive attitude toward God's word. How many know that it's important to set aside our own desires and opinions and to, and to receive and humbly accept the truth of God's word, which this verse says is able to save our souls. I can't approach God's word by reading my meaning into the text, but I must receive it with meekness, with humbleness, and receive it, bring meaning out of the text, which is called exegeting, or bringing meaning out of the text. Meekness is also connected with the way wisdom is demonstrated in, in our actions and in our lifestyle. Go to James 3.13. The verse reads, Who is wise? Who is a wise man? and endued with knowledge among you. 
let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Meekness in the context of this verse is essential as it is an aspect of living, of living it out and expressing true wisdom in daily life. So you see, meekness is a manifestation of inner strength coupled with humility. Meekness is all about having strength or power under control. If you don't get anything else out of this message tonight, remember that meekness is about how we have strength or power under control or under submission to God. No matter what our secular society says, meekness is not a weakness. It is a strength. It enables us to reflect the character of Jesus, who was the perfect example of meekness. You realize that he could have asserted his power and authority, but chose to embody love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, the other parts of the fruit of the Spirit, as we know it. Just as important as God wants us to develop these other parts of the fruit of the Spirit, he wants us to be meek because it's important in how we handle conflict. It's important with how we handle relationships with one another. It's important with how we serve one another. And it's important in receiving all the promises and blessings that God wants to give us, like I mentioned about the abundance of peace or inheriting the land and so much more. Amen. Brother Zachary, come on up here, brother. Good job. Praise the Lord, everybody. Can we give that hand clap to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for giving us the example, Lord, that we need to follow. Thank you for giving us the option to even know about the fruits of the Spirit. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I would like to start and also give honor where honor is due and thank my father, Pastor Cox, and brother Pastor Brom, who is not in here at the moment, but uh, he's teaching, I think. So thank you, Brother Brom and Brother Cox, for all that you do. And it is a great honor to be a part of this church. I love you guys a lot. You guys mean a lot to me. I hope you know that. So if we want to start with Galatians 5.22 through 23, like Brother Menjivar and all of the past speakers have this past few weeks, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And I will be focusing on temperance. And it says, Against such there is no law. Now, why they chose a 19-year-old to teach about temperance beats me. Because I have absolutely no idea how to do that in my life. But through this study... I have gained a lot of understanding, and I hope to share some of that understanding with you tonight. So why don't we start with a definition of temperance? I, I view temperance, and I even looked up some definitions, and it would define temperance as self-restraint and self-control, and even would be considered a self-discipline. You see, it also means to take a grip of oneself, hence the common phrase, get a grip. I don't know, has anyone ever heard that phrase? Has anyone ever told you to just get a grip on something? Yeah? So I thought, what are some ways that we would do the opposite? What are some ways that we would lose self-control on a daily basis just so we have 
the negative, so to say, out of the picture so we can get that out of the way. What are some everyday things that make us lose our minds? So I have eight things here, and, and just a, a raising of the hands would be all right if you have ever had any of these things drive you absolutely insane. So number one, when people chew food with their mouth wide open. Yeah, yeah, I see a lot of hands there. Same. Number two, when people talk on speakerphone in public. Some of you are guilty of that. That's why you didn't raise your hands. You see, I know some of my family members even in this building have done that personally. Number three, when someone asks a question you just answered. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really relate to that one, I'm sure. Pastor, you probably relate to that one probably more than anyone in this room. Uh, number four, when someone touches your face for no reason. Jalo, yeah, I, I don't know. That doesn't happen to me a lot, but I can see how that would be annoying. Uh, number five, when you stub your toe. Doesn't that just make you want to go on a 40-day fast and praise the Lord with all your heart? That's what it makes me want to do. Uh, number six, when a baby cries on the airplane and the parents do nothing about it. And even when they do something about it, it seems that it never really helps. Number seven, when someone near you taps their fingers or feet obnoxiously, rapidly, or constantly. I have been guilty of this. I have been guilty of this multiple times. And number eight, when you're put on hold for longer than five minutes. Oh, I felt that in the room. That, that one hit a nerve right there. So you see, there are many avenues in this day and age in which we can example the opposite, where, where that makes us mad, it makes us lose our minds. It does the opposite of what temperance is supposed to do. But I have come to just hit on three quick points of what we can example and how we can example temperance in our daily lives. So number one, I thought, why not start with fasting? Because recently, like yesterday, we just came out of an all-church fast day. So I decided, why not? Even though you guys might not know it, you exampled temperance and, and fasting yesterday. So fasting is what helps us deny our flesh and in, in turn resist our fleshly desires. You see, fasting shows that God is the one in control and that we are not. Daniel here was a prime example of temperance in regards to fasting and restraint to certain foods. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it reads, But Daniel purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now to give you a little uh, background and context of this, the king Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon has just overtaken Judah and the, and Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and they are exiling the people out. And what they did was they took, um, they took Daniel and the three other Hebrew boys with them, and they, took, they just wanted the brightest, the best, the smartest, the fastest, the physically fit. They wanted all of those people to come and serve in their kingdom so that they could have a perfect kingdom, so to speak. And what this food reference is here is that the king was going to train them up and he was going to feed them so that they would be like physically fit to pass like some sort of physical, if you will. They were going to be physically perfect for the king to use. But Daniel here, he said that he would not defile himself with that food or drink. And what does that mean? That just simply means that uh, here in Daniel chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, as we read, it says, Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. That pulse is there just means some sort of vegetable. 
Verse 13, then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And the story goes on. If you didn't catch what was happening there, they basically just asked to eat different food than what the king was giving them. And so what happened at the end of this story was that Daniel and the three other Hebrew boys, they actually tested better than the people who ate of the king's table. And so what does that mean? This, Daniel and the three other Hebrew boys, they practiced restraint to keep their minds clear to see what God was going to do with their lives. You see, they were aware that they were captured for a purpose, that the Lord had a plan for their lives specifically, and they wanted to keep their minds and bodies right for the Lord. Imagine that, that they were working for their captors, but the Lord still used them for his purpose. You see, temperance is what helps us see the whole picture. It's, it's, what, let us, it's what lets us know that we don't always need to, to know everything that's going to happen, but it's what takes us from one step to the next step to the next step. And if we follow that voice of God and that leading of God, that is what temperance helps us do ultimately. It is restrain our voice and listen to the voice of the Lord as he leads and guides us down his own path for our lives. You see Daniel chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, it reads, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time was appointed was long. And he understood the thing, and he and had understanding of that vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. You see, Daniel has been through a lot up to this point. He has been through helping other kings, previous kings, through their own dreams, and then he has personally had dreams and visions before this. But I want to draw out the fact that he was still fasting for another word. He was still fasting to get something else from the Lord. Daniel was already interpreting dreams, and he was already prophesying of what was to come, but he kept fasting because he knew the Lord was not done with him. You see, temperance is understanding that the Lord has a plan for our lives. And if we restrain our fleshly lusts and desires and deny our flesh, then the Lord can do miraculous things to us, but also through us. Fasting is not, only, is not the only way that we can uh, show temperance. The next example would be our speech. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This verse here is referencing, one, that we must be careful with our words, but two, it is mainly referencing that the political power of the day had the, the ultimate authority on what a person who committed a crime, would they either live or would they die? Kind of like today in our judicial system, some can give life sentences and death sentences. So that's what this verse is ultimately referring to. And that last phrase there, that they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, this is saying what one says we must ultimately deal with. That is why we never slander each other. That is why we never tear each other down. Or that is why we never uh, prey on the downfall of others, because we reap what we sow. Amen? We do we reap what we sow. We must exercise self-control and self-restraint over what we say. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to brittle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, 
which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. Catch that. Whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. This passage is so dense in understanding, and James does a great job explaining his thoughts. And I'd just like to break some of these verses down. Sister Macy, if you could put uh, verse 2 up there, James 5 verse 2, or James 3 verse 2. It says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to brittle the whole body. You see, offend here means to stumble. We may aim for perfection, but we will never hit it until, of course, as 1 Corinthians 15.54 says, this mortal must put on immortality. You see, if any man does not offend in speech or with his words, he will be a perfect man. Not perfect in the sense of flawless, but perfect in the sense that if you can control your tongue, you can control every other aspect of your body. That word brittle there means to lead or guide with a bit, then to rein in check or restrain. So overall, this verse is implying the great importance of showing temperance when dealing with our speech. Verse 4 says, Behold also the little ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. What is James trying to say here? He is correlating our body to these ships. You see, they are restless, hard to control. They seem to go wherever the wind blows. But a ship so easily steered and managed by a small is so easily steered and managed by a small rudder. He that controls the rudder ultimately controls the ship. Much like us, if we control our tongue, we can control our body. James is making an example with the storm here. If we can exercise temperance over our tongue, then even in the most violent of storms, even in the pounding rain and the swells of the sea, if a man can control his tongue, he can ultimately control the ship throughout that storm. You see, we don't know what the clouds are going to do. We don't know what the rain is going to do. We don't know what the storm is going to bring. We don't exactly know what our life day-to-day is going to look like. But we do know that if we can control our tongue, we can control the outcome of that event. And that is what temperance does. It takes us from this point, and it helps us restrain ourselves and our flesh and our lustly desires. And it focuses on the Lord and say, wherever you lead, I will follow. Wherever you go, I will go. You take me to that next step, and I will go. I will go with you wherever, because you are my my Lord. The storms of life and, and the trials of life are very real, and I don't want to diminish that in any way. But if you can exercise temperance and learn to control what you say, and I, this is to me too, if I can learn temperance and learn to control what I say, and I can control my body, my mind, and even my actions. You see, this is not a skill that would come easily, and no doubt will require work. But the Lord honors those that demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And if it were impossible to obtain this fruit, why would he have told us? Verse 5 says, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Compared with the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder that may control the ship, the tongue is a little member of the body. Although it is small, it boasts loudly of what it can accomplish. And it has a world of influence, whether that be for good or for evil. James 3.10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. 
What does this mean? Out of the mouth of one person can come blessing and cursing, praise and slander, love and hate, justice and injustice, support and wrath. The same mouth that can praise the Lord one day can go out the next day and speak the most vile words known to man. You see, you might fool everyone on a Sunday morning and and you might fool everyone on a shout down service but what are you saying when the boss is on your case the next day at work what are you saying when the bills cannot be paid off what are you saying when that family member is ill temperance the goal about temperance is not that we can only control ourselves when it's uh, when it's nice and necessary but it's that we can control ourselves when the when the tears of life come our way when the when the scares come when the baby is sick when the bills can't be paid off we can control how we deal with those things. And if this is not enough to persuade you that we need temperance over our speech, then let this next verse hopefully give you an idea of how essential it is. Matthew 12, verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. As Brother John said, that day of judgment is coming very quickly. And that is a very scary thing to think about, that every word we say will be held against us. That word idle there means a vain, a thoughtless, or a useless word, or a word that accomplishes no good. You see, temperance cuts off those idle words. It, it helps us control what we think, feel, and even say. Speech is a big thing. However, it is not the only way that we can example temperance in our lives. My third point would be moderation and restraint. The root word of temperance indicates a self-restraint to one's desires or lusts. If we were to compare the works of the flesh that were listed a few verses before the fruit of the Spirit, we would see that temperance kind of lines up as an antonym of adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, drunkenness, and revelings. So it kind of stands in opposition to those things. So the overall idea of temperance is to control yourself and enjoy things in moderation. Moderation is very beneficial, and it is what keeps our desires and lusts at bay. And I would venture to say this, and this will blow your mind. Are you ready for this? I would venture to say that no one does a lot of what they do not want to do. I came up with that, like, just, you know, a few days ago. No, I'm just kidding, but it is simple. No one does a lot of what they don't want to do. That doesn't make any sense. How do we know that we are doing things in moderation? I looked up a, a few questions. How would we know if we're doing what we enjoy in moderation? So let's look at some of these questions and see if what we are doing is in moderation or if it is in excess. Question number one, will it glorify God? Will what I'm doing, will it bring glory to his name? Will, it, will people... Uh, know a, have a greater understanding of what who Jesus is by doing this. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Question two: Can it be done in Jesus' name? Is what I'm doing? Can it be done in the name of Jesus? Does it ultimately bring glory to Him, or is it taking people away from Him? Colossians three seventeen. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Question three, how will it appear to others? Well, what I'm doing, will it, will it check with, will it, they, they know that I'm the one that's doing it. Will it make sense with my integrity, with what they know about me? Well, what I'm doing, will that match with my personality? 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearances of evil. Question number four, would it hinder another Christian? This one is... 
This one kind of stings. Would my activity that I'm doing, would it hinder someone else's way to salvation? Would it hinder someone else's view of me or even God? Would my activity hinder people's perspective of God? That is a scary question to think about. Romans 14, 21, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Question number five, does it compromise my testimony? Does what I'm doing, does it, does it speak in opposition to what the Lord brought me out of? Did the Lord bring me out of it just so I can enjoy another hobby that is basically the same thing of what the Lord just brought me out of, what He just set me free from, what He just delivered me from? 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The quick this verse quickly defined just is saying that there may be vices and grips that have a hold on us. And they seem good on the outside, but inwardly they can kill us. But the Lord has delivered us from those vices and from those grips, and, and we will not be brought under the power and the subjection of them any longer. And finally, one of the most scariest questions that I've read on this, am I willing to face this in judgment? 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, now it is very possible that while I read this list, I did not say an activity or a certain thing, but you already had that thing in your mind. You already had that, that idea of what, what I was talking about. You already had that activity in your mind. And I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that we all have things we can compare to this list to say, are we doing this in moderation or are we doing this in excess? Is, are these activities becoming idols to us? Is it God first and then my activity or is it my activity above God? You see, am I showing temperance and, and restraint in what I enjoy? Now, as I quickly am coming to a close, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. This is Paul here. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, Paul, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul here in verse 25 is saying that we must be temperate in all things, for we are trying to obtain an incorruptible crown. Amen. You see, temperance here means that we must refrain from things unlawful and even things that are lawful. You see, for Paul here in this context is speaking of runners and, and kind of just like a race. He's, he's kind of correlating it to a race. And, and what this means is that they have to follow the law and they have, to, they have to keep their bodies in shape so they can make it and so that they can obtain their own crown. But what we do not want to do, what we want to do, however, is, is not just follow the law to gain that, cor that corruptible crown. We want to follow even th our own personal convictions, what not is really in the law, but what we know to be true in ourselves. We want to follow those things that will help us gain an incorruptible crown. Those wanting to obtain a corruptible crown can follow just the law and be fine. But we strive for an incorruptible crown. We, we must exercise more restraint than the world, for after all, we are going after a different prize. Verse 26, Paul is not running without a goal. He has a, he has a mark that he wants to hit. 
He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. That means he has a goal in mind. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. That term there just means that even now as boxers, as we see them uh, practice, they kind of just swing sometimes before they get in the fight. You ever seen that? They just swing around, swing the air to kind of get their limbs loose, practice their, their stance. He says he's not wasting his time just fighting air. He has a purpose while he's here. He has a goal in mind. He's running toward a goal, and he's not wasting any, en any energy on fulfilling this personal law. He wants to follow the law of the Lord. Verse 27, Paul hits me with one of the most challenging verses I have ever read, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I have preached to others, but I can still be a castaway. This is why we must learn to practice temperance. With temperance, we restrain ourselves, we deny our flesh, and we limit the amount of sin and indulgence we let into our lives. If we have temperance and truly understand what it is, then we can gain that incorruptible crown. We can run the race and have a goal in mind, and we can strive for heaven and make it. You see, temperance is not the most fun fruit of the Spirit to talk about, I know, because what is it's... It's, not, it's just saying we're limiting ourselves a little bit in the fleshly so we can gain more in the spiritual. But the thing about temperance is that once we practice it and once we master it, it is so rewarding because on that day when we cross into the streets of gold, it will be so rewarding to see our master and to say those fleshly lusts and fleshly desires, it doesn't even matter because now I see my Savior face to face. And what a day that will be when we eventually cross over into eternity. And if we could all stand and just praise the Lord and worship Him and thank Him for the opportunities that we have to know Him and to example this fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Lord Jesus, we love You and we worship You, God. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.